0: Welcome in to OutKick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope that all of you are having a fabulous Tuesday. Oh, feels like it's later in the week than Tuesday. Uh, a lot of chaos going on every direction imaginable right now, but your boy is here to help make sense of an otherwise insane world. Let's start with this. Tuesdays, uh, we dive right into the NFL. Just so you know, we're going to cover a lot of ground. I'm going to talk about Megan Rapinoe's hypocrisy, the Michigan scandal, uh, the uh, Italian prime minister scandal. I've got a, 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 a fun take on that. A lot of NFL reactions and also the continued absurdity of anti-Israel, pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas defense of what is going on out there. Uh, in the United States and what it could represent. So a lot of ground, all right? But we're going to start with the relatively, I get it, insignificant, not that grandly important game of football. Uh, And what happened in NFL uh, Week 7, which we just completed. Uh, Jags. And I'm going to go in order to tell you what I think we learned. Jags are the best team in the AFC South. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has come into his own Uh, this was the Thursday night football game I know we had the drop it feels like forever ago but what the Jags have done they're now I believe five and two they have won four games in a row if I'm not mistaken Uh, and they are the best team in the AFC South and they are going to win the AFC South and I expect for other teams to soon start making moves, whether it's the Colts, whether it's the Titans, whether it's the Texans, that might include, as we've already seen with the Titans, the decision to get rid of older, expensive talent. Kevin Byard is gone. Uh, uh, All pro safety for the Titans. And I think there's a decent chance that Derrick Henry is going to be gone, too. In fact, the only reason they may not trade Derrick Henry is Uh, is because he's essentially the face of the Titans franchise and they're afraid to do so. But I think what this epitomizes is that uh, the Jags are developing a stranglehold uh, on the division. NFC South's still a mess. I don't think the Saints are very good, but I don't think anybody in the NFC South, to be fair, is that good. Browns get the win over the Colts. Okay, I was watching this game live. Uh, There is no way to defend what the Browns did, uh, what the officials did for the Browns down the stretch against the Colts. And I've been making this argument for a long time. I have no issue whatsoever with officials doing their best to figure out, hey, did somebody get two feet in to catch a pass? Uh, Was there or was there not a fumble on a play? Those are, to me, integral decisions that should be reviewed, should be examined. I don't care about offsides. I don't care about false starts. Those are relative, 12 men on the field, delay of game. Those are relatively easy yes or no questions. You either are offsides or you weren't. You either uh, false started or you didn't, and we can watch that in real time and pretty much see it. My issue is judgment calls, and judgment calls become more and more important when the overall evenness of the games is fairly substantial. That happens a lot of weeks in the NFL. It also happens in college football. My big issue with judgment calls is, hey, when it's third and eight, you can almost call defensive holding on any any play. You can almost call offensive holding on any play. And so judgment calls have a monstrous impact in terms of who wins. And there was an awful judgment call near the end of Browns Colts, which I believe handed the Browns the win. Uh, there was a completely uncatchable pass back right corner of the end zone almost went into the stands and they threw a flag and said hey this is a uh, this is a violation this was a personal foul and uh, I believe was totally wrong I I believe it was unjustified based on uh, the clear evidence that it was an uncatchable pass and as a result The Browns got first and goal at the one. They ran the the ball four times, threw the ball three times, ran it on fourth down, scored a touchdown by about a half yard. I think the Browns would have lost that game, but for that call, I think that officiating error meant the difference in a win and a loss. Uh, Patriots. This game stunned me. I did not believe that. I thought the Bills were going to blow out the Patriots. I thought the Bills were going to win by 20. Patriots out of nowhere – come back and beat the Bills. Also questionable officiating calls in this game that helped the Patriots late, go figure. Uh, But Patriots still not a good football team. If I'm a Bills fan, I'm sitting back and saying, okay, we're four and three. We know how good Patrick Mahomes is. We know that we are chasing that excellence. And a couple, was it two years ago now when the Bills lost that, Absolute heavyweight fight against the Chiefs in Arrowhead. And even though the Chiefs won, everybody who watched it felt on some level like, hey, the Bills and Josh Allen are going to win a Super Bowl at some point. I don't I don't know what's going on with the Bills. They were white hot to start last year. And then they kind of fell apart uh, and ended up kind of going out meekly kind of feels like we're on the same pathway right now. Now, granted, we're only approaching halfway on the season, but when if you're a Bills fan, uh, and I like this Bills team, and you have lost to the Patriots, you were very fortunate and probably got away with a pass interference in the end zone against the Giants. You lost to the Jags. Uh, you lost to uh, the Jets in the opening week of the season. Granted, you whipped... The the uh, the Miami Dolphins, I don't have a good read on them. And the Dolphins are still in first place in the AFC East, uh, and I'm not as optimistic on the Bills as I was a couple of years ago. Giants get the win over the Commanders, who cares? Uh, Ravens absolutely obliterated the Lions. Lions 5-1, and one, feeling really good. Short underdog on the road against the Ravens. Your boy jumped on board, said, hey, the Lions are for real, and Lamar Jackson and company just decapitated uh, the Lions, just obliterated them. This was never a remotely close game. Lamar Jackson, best game of the season for Lamar, worst game of the season for the Lions. Uh, if I'm a Ravens fan, that's if, you, if the Ravens play like that, they are a Super Bowl contender in the AFC. I don't think they can consistently play like that, and for the Lions – just when you think, hey, we can rely. The Lions are going to be pretty good. Even the game they lost was overtime against the Seahawks. They go out and just look like uh, a you know 5-12 and 12 team. And that would make me a little bit nervous. Bears get the win over the Raiders in a, uh, a game of sadness. A little bit nerve-wracking if I'm Justin Fields, who's out. And this is why guys don't like going out. Individual games, things can swing. Uh, but Tyler Badgett. Uh, 21 of 29, touchdown, not a bad performance. And this is why guys don't like to miss games because every now and then somebody comes out. I'm not sure that Tyler Badgen is the answer. I don't think there's any way the Bears aren't going to draft Caleb Williams or Drake May if they can. But suddenly the Bears climbing out of that, uh, out of that uh, uh, awfulness, out of the cellar and maybe they're going to play themselves out of getting a top draft pick before all is said and done. We will see. I know they get still, I believe, the Panthers pick, so that's some level of protection, but we'll see what happens with their own pick. Falcons get the win over the Bucs. Disappointed in the Bucs, thought the Bucs would get it done. Uh, Falcons do not believe in Desmond Ritter. They have a solid defense. I think they need at quarterback, uh, but the Falcons could could win the NFC South. I think the NFC South probably the worst division in football. Um, and somebody's got to win it. It's a huge win for the Falcons to go on the road and beat the Bucs. Steelers get the Rams. Steelers, you know, you always look around and you're like, man, the Steelers aren't that good. They got all issues. Can he pick it ain't great? And somehow they're four and two. Uh Mike Tomlin doesn't have losing seasons by and large. Steelers come November, come December, always seem to be in the mix. Seahawks get the win over the Cardinals. Cardinals, Kyler Murray coming off, potentially being able to return. But the Cardinals are clearly in the quarterback market, even with the money that they have given uh, to uh, to Kyler Murray. It feels like they're ready to move on. Uh, Arizona, one and six, the only win, Dallas Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks. How about divergent opinions? Pete Carroll. How much more underrated does Pete Carroll look with the ability he's had to win even without Russell Wilson? And meanwhile, Russell Wilson has continued decline in the estimation. How much of that do we give Pete Carroll for? I think you have to give some. Uh, Packers, Broncos. Broncos find a way to get the win. And maybe Sean Payton is not the worst human being on the planet. The Jordan Love experiment. You know, Packer fans have been spoiled for the past, like, 20 years because they had Brett Favre, they went to Aaron Rodgers. First couple of weeks of the season, it looked like Jordan Love might be a guy that you could look to and say, you know what, maybe it's just going to be three straight quarterbacks that perform at a high level. I think there's got to be a lot of apprehension right now in Green Bay over how Jordan Love is playing the Packers fall to 2-4. and and the Denver Broncos get to 2 and 5, Chiefs beat the Chargers. Justin Herbert, I think he's a really good quarterback. At some point though, do you look at this and by the way, the Chiefs are out to whatever they are, 6 and 1, hardly ever lose, and the the Chargers are 2 and 4. At some point do you just say for a really good quarterback, Justin Herbert loses a lot of games. And I'm not saying it's his fault, but 17-30, two picks, missed a lot of throws that I think he needs to make. Justin Herbert being in the same division as Patrick Mahomes is a very high standard to me. The Raiders aren't very good, though. Broncos aren't very good. So far, the Chargers have not looked like a playoff team. Uh, Eagles get the win over the Dolphins. I still think the Dolphins are very good, but this was a nice win for Jalen Hurts against Tua. Uh, and then last night, Vikings, Kirk Cousins played really, really well. They got the win over Brock Purdy and the 49ers. Now, this is two straight losses for the 49ers. Purdy's just been okay. I know there are issues at uh, the uh, wide receiver position. But two interceptions late, including on the final drive. Kirk Cousins, meanwhile, 35 of 45, just shy of 400 yards. He looked phenomenal. And the Minnesota Vikings, who started off the season 0 and three, given up for dead, have fought their way back to three and four. The next several on the schedule aren't brutal. Could the Vikings end up making a run in the NFC North? I don't think that is crazy to contemplate. So that is where we are as we break down NFL uh, week seven, My takeaway on all of uh, all of those games. Now, Uh, I want to talk about a, uh, a couple of stories here. Let's start in college football. Everybody's talking about this Michigan scandal. Did they have a guy in the stands, maybe multiple guys in the stands, trying to record all of the signals that were being given in from the sideline in an effort to steal those signals and deduce what those signs meant in terms of what plays were going to be run? Uh, It seems like the evidence suggests that they did. Okay, so let me start here. Everybody's saying, oh, what's going to happen? I will tell you, I'm getting older. I've been covering college football for basically 20 years now. And during those 20 years, I have seen a lot of scandals. They've all stacked up, lots of scandals. One thing I have never seen is a team that is contending for a championship, in the world of college football, voluntarily pull their star and say, you know what, we violated the rules, we're basically going to punt on the season. Michigan won a half of a championship in 1997, they split it with Nebraska. Both teams finished undefeated, was the last year one versus two didn't play. My kids can't even believe that that era of college football even exists. When they've looked at the rule books before, they said, what do you mean, Dad? There were split champions? How did that happen? How did not just one team win? Well, I had to explain the whole era. Michigan was the last split champion of that era. But we've had Cam Newton. We've had Terrell Pryor. We've had a lot of scandals over the years featuring teams that hope to contend for a championship. Heck, you could even say in basketball, we had Brandon Miller who Alabama refused to sit even though he was potentially now being sued for wrongful death, potentially culpable in the murder of a mom just off the campus in Tuscaloosa. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Clay Travis, and I'll kick the show is going to keep right on rolling. No team is going to voluntarily end their championship run by suspending or enforcing a punishment Michigan hasn't won a championship since 1997 national championship that is when they won their half there's no way that as they sit at a no as the Vegas favorite to win that they are going to institute that punishment the NCAA is toothless and has no power the Big Ten has a brand new commissioner and they at the Big Ten are not I don't believe going to do something to Michigan. So everybody out there that's chirping, even before you analyze what actually may or may not have happened, even before all that occurs, you are, I think, need to acknowledge NCAA, Michigan, and the Big Ten aren't going to do anything. Okay, So if Michigan's not going to win a championship, it's going to be because somebody beats them, not because they institute some sort of substantial penalty. Now, Everybody tries to steal signs. Uh, maybe we, on the short version of this, we can in, uh, integrate uh, Deion Sanders talking about this. A lot of different coaches now being asked about this at their press conferences. I thought Dion summed it up best. He said, even if you steal a sign and know what the play is, you still have to stop it. And so I think the idea of knowing what plays are coming is actually secondary in terms of the ability to stop them. And everybody is trying to steal signs. So if at some point you recognize that your signs are being stolen, and certainly you would know that by halftime, right? Why not go ahead and start changing the way that you put in the signals? And my suggestion would be, I don't know why college football doesn't have the helmets with the audio in them, like the NFL does. Seems like an easy solution to this would be hey, let's just fix this, put the signals in the helmet, and ensure that you are uh, able to adjust. By the way, as a part of counter intel, if you knew that your signals were being stolen at halftime, Why not take advantage of that and actually set up the defense to expect the opposite of what's really going to happen? So I think this tends to be an overplayed story. I think there are lots of issues of sign stealing that have occurred in the past. We'll see what happens. But I don't think there's going to be any outcome that is significant here until after the college football season happens. And I think anybody expecting otherwise is crazy. I saw this this morning. It was shared with me. Megan Rapino, who I think is woke and dumb, has been regularly out there trying to share the wokest political takes imaginable. And I want to make sure that I get what her uh, feed actually looks like. Uh, Megan Rapino on her Instagram feed, and this was sent to me. I had not seen it, uh, has her pronouns. I believe it's a LGBTQ, the gay pride flag. Uh, It says that, uh, that also Black Lives Matter as her cover art picture. She is raising money right now for Gaza Children Relief. They're trying to raise $10 million. Now, look, uh, Megan Rapinoe is married to Sue Bird, who I am told is half Jewish and considered to be an Israeli citizen. That is, she has an Israeli passport. Sue Bird, obviously legendary, uh, if you care, women's basketball player. So Megan Rapinoe is a lesbian who is married to Sue Bird. Uh, She is raising money for, and Sue is Israeli. If Megan Rapinoe was in Gaza, and the people of Gaza knew that she was a lesbian who was married to a Jewish woman, the best thing that could happen to Megan Rapinoe is probably that they would kick her out of Gaza and not do anything to her the worst thing that could happen to her is she could be murdered because the people of Gaza do not support lesbians who are married to Jews. Just kind of an important thing. So when Megan Rapino is raising money for the people in Gaza, what she is doing is giving assets, which may well end up in the control of Hamas, by the way, to people who, if they had the opportunity to do so, would murder both she and her wife at the drop of a hat. She is directly aiding people who hate her and would like to see her, she and her partner dead. If Sue Bird had happened to be near the wall in Gaza, in Israel at the time of this terror attack, she might well have been one of the 1,400 Jews who was murdered. If we had an honest media, some might point to this and say, Megan Rapinoe, you refused to stand for the national anthem and you tried to bully your uh, American women's teammates into refusing to stand for the anthem. You turned down the opportunity to visit the White House in 2019 after you won the World Cup that was played in France because you hated Donald Trump and said, that basically he was a Nazi and a white supremacist. Why now, Megan Rapinoe, are you raising money to aid people in Gaza who are actual anti-Semites, who are actually working to kill as many Jews as possible? That is if we had an honest media. What I think, however, is that Megan Rapinoe is a useful idiot. Because what's happened is, she is an athlete with a prominent platform. And the left in this country has used Megan Rapino to divide all of us and basically destroy the goodwill of the U.S. women's soccer team by her embrace of the idea of identity politics. And I talked about this yesterday, but I think it's so important. How do we get here? How do we get to a place where people are walking Uh, through New York City streets, chanting about the need for a solution to the Israel problem? How do we get to the point where people are chanting from the river to the sea, where they're calling for intifada, when college kids on campuses are yanking down pictures of Jewish citizens who are held hostage by Hamas and they think they're the good people? It's because they bought into this broken idea of the oppression Olympics, the oppression pyramid, and they can't understand how a member of what they consider to be the colonized and the oppressed, that is the Palestinians, could ever be terrorists because they don't understand how that side could be the evil side. And that is because they have a simplistic worldview that has been totally torn asunder by what's going on here. Black Lives Matter actually said, some chapters of Black Lives Matter, that they supported the Hamas terror attack. Black Lives Matter Chicago, for instance, changed their logo to one of a paraglider to support the fact that they killed Jews. How has Megan Rapino, who ostensibly is this enlightened savant who supports human rights, how is she raising money for a group that doesn't believe she should exist as a gay person, that doesn't believe her spouse should ex- exist as an Israeli, how is there such cognitive dissonance here? And why is Megan Rapino not being attacked for this or at the very least questioned at its most integral level? Look, this, I would say, is evidence of what I talked about yesterday. Harvard-Harris poll came out. Harvard-Harris poll, majority of 18 to 24-year-olds in America believe that Hamas was justified to butcher 1,400 innocent Jews. A slight majority, I think it was 51 to 49, of 25 to 34-year-olds disagree with the decision, meaning a majority of people in America age 18 to 34 believe that Hamas was justified in murdering 1,400 innocent Jews in the most violent terror attack against people of the Jewish faith since the Holocaust. How do we get here? How do we get here to a place where a majority of 18 to 34-year-olds in America, according to this Harvard-Harris poll, believe that everything that Hamas did on October 7th is justified? It's because so many people in America have bought into this broken analogy of colonizer versus colonized and oppressor versus oppressor that they are unable to understand how Hamas could be the bad guy because it doesn't fit into their schematic of the way the world exists. And I argued yesterday, and I think this is the reason, Young people in America don't understand anymore the difference between good and evil. And when good and evil conflicts with their worldview, they recoil against it and retroflexively or sorry, reflexively end up arguing that Jews have to be bad because they see Jews as white people. And this all comes out of the argument. Some of you have probably heard it for 20, 30 years now. Remember the first time I heard it, I couldn't believe it. There is an argument that black people can't be racist. Why can't black people be racist? The argument is black people can't be racist because they don't control the systems of power of America, and therefore it isn't possible that they should be racist. Well, if you were told that you could never be racist, no matter what you said, but that anyone you accused of being racist would lose their jobs, and you would gain political power by doing so, it might well be the case that you accused everyone and everything, whoever disagreed with you, of being racist. And that's the world that we've created. And I've been saying for a long time. White people can be racist. Black people can be racist. Asian people can be racist. Hispanic people can be racist. Gay people can be racist. uh, Straight people can be racist. Trans people can even be racist. I would even argue that almost every race has an equal number of racists inside of it, but that's a debate for another day. What I would point out to you is the left in this country is crumbling over its inability to identify and condemn evil. And I want for you to think about this. Joe Biden ran for president on the lie that Charlottesville, Trump had said there were very fine people on both sides. He didn't say that. He condemned, actually, the anti-Semitics and everybody else out there who was a merchant of hate. What Trump said, if you go look at the transcript, is that there were very fine people who believed that the statue of Robert E. Lee should not be torn down in Charlottesville, Virginia, and very fine people who believed that the statue should be torn down. I'm always, and I wrote about this in my book right here, I'm always of the belief that tearing down statues is the wrong idea. I spent a huge part, a full chapter of the book talking about it. I said I want more history, not less. But Biden used the lie of the way the media covered that incident as if Trump were saying Nazis are very fine people as a justification to run for president. Biden founded his race in a lie that was not called out by the media because they wanted it to be true. Okay, if that's true, here's a good question that I think should be asked in the next White House press briefing or of Joe Biden if he ever actually took questions. Why isn't Joe Biden condemning all the people on the left right now who are marching through the streets all over the United States uh, supporting the uh, the removal and eradication in many ways of Jews from Israel and also from American life. If you were so troubled by a relative handful of people that were anti-Semitic in Charlottesville, Virginia, go back and listen. I said, man, this is awful. Unlike a lot of people out there, I'm always opposed to hating someone because of their ethnicity or their religion or their race. And I'm consistent no matter where that speech or where that political perspective is coming from. Question I asked, why hasn't Joe Biden come out forcefully and condemned what's happening all over this country in terms of anti-Semitic marchers that are denigrating Israel and threatening threatening Jews all over this country to the point where Biden's actually more concerned, along with Corinne Jean-Pierre, of Islamophobia, even though And I grabbed this stat because I do think it's important and worth sharing. Even though Jews are overwhelmingly, on a per capita basis, far more likely to actually be targets. Jews are 2% of the U.S. population. This is according to David Burge. Jews are 2% of the U.S. population. And according to the FBI's own statistics, 51.4% of all hate crimes in 2022 targeted Jews. And now there's been two straight weeks, I'm reading from him, of anti-Semitic hate marches on elite college campuses. I haven't seen Joe Biden condemn it at all. I think that's important. I think it's worth pointing out. A couple of other things that are out there. Uh, It now appears that, well, I bet he's going to step down. The House speakership race, Tom Emmer's the nominee. It doesn't appear that he's going to have the votes either. I said this on Clay and Buck. I'm of the opinion. You might have heard us talking about it. Old school television show, Dallas. I don't know how many of you watched it. Super popular. 1980s, probably the most watched drama, I bet, of any 1980s television show. Spoiler alert if you're still watching it on TV land or streaming or wherever. One season ended with Bobby Ewing dead. It was so unpopular that they decided on Dallas, you know what, we're going to bring Bobby Ewing back. I don't know what year this was, probably like 1986, 1987, something like that. I was a young kid. And they actually put out in the TV Guide, to the best of my recollection, that there were like four or five different storylines that might be used to bring Bobby Ewing back from the dead. I remember watching. I was at my grandparents' house. I remember watching when Bobby Ewing died. Everybody was like, oh my God, Bobby Ewing's died. It's like Jon Snow dying, spoiler alert, Game of Thrones on steroids. Bobby Ewing, younger brother, J.R. Ewing. They decided eventually they were going to bring Bobby Ewing back, as I said. The storyline was it was all a dream. Next year's season starts. Bobby Ewing is in the shower. And he's right there, he's right back fighting with the Ewing family as if he had never died at the end of the previous season. They just said it was all a dream. I wonder whether Republicans might try this with the Kevin McCarthy speakership because they keep putting forward new people who all lose and can't get to the right number of votes. And I wonder whether they're just going to come back and say, you know what, we're going to go with Kevin McCarthy again and just claim this was all a dream. Because right now, they would just need like four people to change their mind and they could just go right back to Kevin McCarthy as speaker. And they could claim it was all a dream and they could put him right back in power. And my argument on this is anger is not a strategy. Anger is an emotion, it's not a strategy. And there was anger. There was no strategy here. I think it's fair to say at this point. And I also tie this in. People say, okay, what could happen? Matt Gates led the rebellion against Kevin McCarthy. I like Matt Gates. I think he may well be the next governor of Florida if he wants to be. He represents the area where I have, humbly, my beach house. To be fair, I have two beach houses now. One in Rosemary Beach, one in Alice Beach. Again, I say humbly. And I like Matt Gates. I think he does a good job representing that district. If I were a member of the, if I lived in Florida, as opposed to the 5th Congressional District of Tennessee, I would vote for Matt Gates as my congressman. I'd be happy to vote for him. But there's an interesting play here, and I think it also ties in with Disney and what happened, which is you can make the right decision for you personally And it can be the wronger decision for the collective whole. And let me give you an example using Disney. Disney is now run by Bob Iger. Bob Iger has driven Disney off a woke cliff. He has led them at ESPN, at the movies, at the theme parks. All of it's gone super woke. They got You know, dudes dressing up as fairy godmother princesses or whatever the hell it is. I mean, literally a guy with a beard and a dress. They got Pixar movies nobody wants to go see anymore. ESPN's business going right off a cliff. Disney Plus has lost $11 billion in streaming so far. The theme parks aren't as crowded as they used to be because they started gouging people on prices. All this is going on. You can look it up. It's all true. All that's bad for Disney, but being woke is good for Bob Iger personally. People want him to run for president. He's making hundreds of millions of dollars. It used to be the case that the job of a CEO was to look out for the larger institution primarily. Now an individual CEO can get himself wealthy while doing what's best for him personally and what's worst for the overall brand. That, I think, is what's going on with Disney. It also applies to the Republican race for Speaker. Matt Gates can have made a rational choice for himself and believe that Kevin McCarthy is the wrong choice and get seven others to vote with him to oust McCarthy. And that can lead to him making more money, being more liked, being more beloved, and actually being more powerful. But it can simultaneously weaken the overall institution, the Republican Party in the House, of which he is a member. I think that's what's going on. And I would analogize it with Bob Iger and Disney. And that's why I think they should jo- go just full-on, old-school uh, Dallas. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. And they could just go right back to um, to... Kevin McCarthy is the speaker. All right, uh, finally, I saw this. I said, you know what? I need a little humor here. The Italian prime minister split with with her husband after he was caught on tape asking a woman, he's a television guy, asking a woman whether she wanted to be in a foursome with him. He wasn't talking about going to play golf. Now, I, I got to tell you, strong, strong argument here. If you already have the twosome and you've already got the threesome, most people would say, hey, threesome's good for me. The optimism of saying, hey, I've got my trio, but I'm going to try to go out and get the foursome together, not for golf aggressive play made more aggressive when your wife is the prime minister of Italy more so aggressive when you are wearing a microphone and other people can hear what you are saying I would just say that's a lot of self-confidence and as a result that relationship is over but see as crazy as things are in America we have to my knowledge never maybe it happened with Bill Clinton I don't know we have, to my knowledge, however, never had anyone's marriage almost in because he or she was trying to recruit a fourth member for a foursome. All right, I love all of you. DBAP. Unless you need to be an SBAP, which is maybe what the Italian prime minister's husband should have thought. Don't be a pussy. But when it comes to getting a foursome, sometimes be a pussy. Uh, I love all of you. Uh, I will talk to you tomorrow. This has been Outkick, the show.